0: I'm I'm on a, a kind of a shaky ground here when you saw probably the title of this message is Lessons from Mary. And I don't know how many people have some kind of Roman Catholic background or maybe not many, but maybe some do. And uh, so you might be saying, yeah, we're going to talk about Mary. And maybe the Protestants in us are saying, what's he talking about Mary? And uh, I just want you to know that this is a Protestant tradition, but it, more importantly, it's not Catholic or Protestant. We're seekers of the truth, and I will be saying some things about Mary that maybe might challenge you a little if you're from that Catholic background, but I don't mean anything nasty or ill about it. I just, I'm just i seeking truth, and I want you to seek truth with me. Amen? Amen. Uh, but most of this is going to be good about Mary. But I got to start with something I saw uh, when we were down in Orlando a little over a year ago. And uh, we're driving somewhere. I don't know where we were going, but we came to this large, beautiful structure. And I was like, what in the world is that? Is that some kind of mega church? It's too big to be a, a church, even a mega church. And it was just ornate, and it was obviously religious. And then I got a little bit closer. I guess I saw a statue, but I did see the sign along the wall outside. And it said, uh, Mary, Queen of the Universe. We were just talking about this. Mary, Queen of the Universe. I thought, what in the world is this? I mean, I never heard of the place, but apparently I got online looked it up. And here's what it says about uh, Mary, Queen of the Universe in Orlando. It says, the Basilica is not a parish church, but a designated place of pilgrimage dedicated to Mary, the Mother of God, Built by tourists, for tourists, our mission is to serve the countless travelers who come from near and far in search of the sacraments of Eucharist and reconciliation. Did you get that? This is a a shrine for people to make pilgrimage to, to celebrate the sacraments and to seek reconciliation. Something about reconciliation in there just didn't ring right with me because the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2:5 that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We don't go to Mary or to any other saints for reconciliation, and Mary is not the queen of the universe and she's not the queen of heaven. Sometimes she's called queen of heaven, and there's nowhere in scriptures that indicate that she's a queen. Period. There is Queen of Heaven in scriptures though, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet was rebuking the Israelites for burning incense to the Queen of Heaven. They were baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven. And who was the Queen of Heaven? Well, it was a Babylonian pagan entity called Ishtar. And so that's the only reference to the Queen of Heaven in scripture. So, well, yeah, but Mary's wonderful. She's the mother of God. She's highly exalted. Well, yes, yeah, she is special. We're going to talk about that. But uh, I was just meeting somebody this week from an Orthodox tradition, and I looked online what the Orthodox believe, and they pray to Mary, and they, they, they exalt Mary. So it is real what's happening out there. But when you get to Scripture, there is no place in any letter to the churches by Paul, Peter, or whoever is writing in the New Testament, no instructions whatsoever to ask for prayer from Mary or any other saints. There is no instructions to uh, esteem her as the queen of the universe or the queen of heaven. There is no mention of worship towards her. There's even, even, uh, you know, there's where Mary appears and the Lord says that, Who is my mother and my brother and and sister? It's those who hear and do the word of God. It's like the Lord never once pointed to her and said, now listen, I want you to remember that she's number two in this scheme of things. And so you just don't see it. Who do you see worshipped in scripture? You see the Father and the Son. The book of Revelation has two chapters, chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 4 showing the worship of the Father. Chapter 5 showing the worship of the Son. Nowhere is there any indication of a queen of heaven. And we know from the Old Testament, the queen of heaven came from a Babylonian tradition. So that's all I'm going to say. I don't want us to get real negative. People can adopt traditions and teachings that aren't in the scriptures. And, of course, there will be arguments. Well, it comes from the church, and then they get into a whole other field of debate and things like that. But as far as scripture goes, there is no indication that we are to revere Mary in this sense. Now, that being said, there's another mistake in which you just throw her out. And we can't throw her out because Mary is actually an awesome person in the Scriptures. Mary is a very special person. She's not to be exalted as the Queen of the Universe or Queen of Heaven, but it was a high honor to be called the Mother of the Lord. It was a high honor to be approached by that angel and be told that she is going to carry the Messiah. In fact, throughout the time of Israel, it was a hope of every young lady that she might become the mother of the Messiah. They were waiting on the Messiah. There There was a hope. That's why it was a curse when God said he would close the womb of someone. There was anticipation and hope, and here was one who had the highest favor in Israel to become the mother of the Messiah. And so that makes her something. But there's even more to her that makes her worthy of attention. And we're going to look at that today because she is an example to us, a shining example in three areas that I can find. One in the area of faith, and a shining example of faith. The other in the area of worship, she teaches us something about worship. And she teaches us something about treasuring the things of God or meditation on the Word of God. So I we'll, will look at these things each today. And, and what we look at as we study this most famous mother on Mother's Day is we look at her example not to lift her up on a pedestal but honor her, yes, just as we honor mothers, but to learn from her just as we want to learn from any great example of the faith. And it's it's probably unfortunate that a lot of Protestants don't talk about Mary when she's such a great example. So today we're going to break that tradition and we're going to talk about her great example of faith here. All right, so we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 34 to 38. And the angel has approached her said she's going to be carrying the Holy Child. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Let's remember that. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is an incredible encounter. The angel appeared to her, Fear not, here's the news. And she said, how can this be? And the angel explained it, and she walks away with a blessing. Now, just a few verses earlier in the same chapter, you have Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John, who's going to come before Jesus. And the angel appeared to Zacharias, who was a priest, who was offering the priestly duty at the time, and the angel told him, You're gonna have a child in your old age. And Zacharias said, How can I know this? And do you recall what happened? All right, here's how you can know it. You're gonna be mute now until this child's born. No more word from you. Well, that seems kind of harsh, right? What happened? Why doesn't it seem like that was the same response that Mary gave? Why was it that Zacharias had the punishment, if we can say that, it was a punishment? And why was it that Mary was just okay? Did you ever wonder that? Well, if it, you didn't, hopefully you're wondering it now, <laughs> right? I wondered it, and I believe the answer is, first of all, they, they seem to have responded the same way, but they really didn't. They responded two different ways. Zechariah said, how can I know this? In other words, you've given me this word, but how can I know that that's really going to happen? Mary didn't say, how can I know this, she said, how can it be? And so one, how can I know this could have been a response and actually was a response I believe of unbelief. How can I know, this? What, you're crazy, how can this, how can this be in that sense, that's unbelief. Mary took it seriously, Mary said, wow, this is interesting information, this is an incredible word but how can it be seeing that I know not a man. So we can approach the scriptures in the same way. Often we often do. We read something, and say, "Oh, this is just so incredible." And some people, uh, people you might be witnessing to, well, how can it be that God really is this way when we see this, 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 and this? They're they're saying like Zacharias, "I don't believe it." Whereas someone who is sincerely in a frame of seeking the Lord will say, "Okay, you're saying this, but..." It doesn't look like that, so help me out with this. How can it be? When I read the scriptures, I have to have that. Sometimes I say, when I'm reading a fantastic episode somewhere in the, in the Bible, I, and it just seems like, how could that have happened? i got to guard my heart and say, well, I believe it did happen. I have to say, like, Mary, how, how can that be? And maybe I don't get the answer right away. Or how does this scripture work here, and w- another scripture says this here, I don't throw it away and say, who can know anything? How can we know this? I just say, how can this be? And eventually the Lord shows me. Or if he doesn't show me, he will show me. I've had so many answers cleared up over my time as a Christian And I still have questions, but I know that those questions will be cleared up and answered too as the days go on. I get wiser the more I get into the Word and submit to the Word and learn the Word, and suddenly things aren't such a problem as they were because the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, shows me. Other times I get it through something I'm reading, and I'm like, wow, you know, this answers something I was asking years ago, and there it is. I never thought of this. And if it doesn't come to that, at some point we're going to get to... The end of time and all things will be revealed and we'll have the answers. But the difference here with Mary is that she was submitted to the word. She just wanted the extra information. There was Zacharias, the priest, the religious one, who said, it can't be. How can I know this? And now what made this even graver mistake for Zacharias was that he had an example from scripture in Abraham. Abraham was told the same thing. You're going to have a child in your old age. And Abraham, it says, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteous. So not only was Zacharias a highly religious person, he was a priest, and it also says that he was holy and blameless. He and Elizabeth were holy and blameless. There is a difference between being a religious person, having it all together, and still... You don't have that faith that is exhibited in the lowly maidservant, Mary. Who was Mary? She was just a lowly maidservant, according to her own words. So God shows mercy on those who believe, and it doesn't help if you're the most religious, cleanest, holy, and blameless person. You have to check your heart and say, where is my heart? Am I basing my my uh, relationship with God on what I'm doing, or is it on his word, what he's done and am I believing. So Mary gives us an example of this and she says in verse 38 be it unto me according to the, thy word. All right, I want to just say for a second here in verse 37. In verse 37 the angel said for with God nothing will be impossible. And the translation for this, that's the English, for with God nothing will be impossible. The Greek actually should have been translated differently. It says that no word of God is without power. That's the actual literal translation. No word of God is without power. And Mary responds and says, amen, basically. Let it be to me according to your word. And that is what we have to say. We have to say whatever the word says, there is power behind it to make it so. Makes me think of Picard and Star Trek. Make it so. Well, let's not use that. Let's say amen. When we say amen, it's pretty much the same as so be it. And saying amen is a lot like saying be it to me according to your word. And when you say amen, the faith of Mary and our faith should be more than just saying it, but being it. Believing means to be living according to that word. The word is not without power. So, how can it be that I'm forgiven when I see how far short I've fallen? Be it unto me according to thy word. How can it be that God is with me when I feel isolated, alone, and like no one cares? The word says that he never leaves you nor forsakes you. Be it unto me according to thy word. I'll never make it. I'll never measure up. The word says that he is faithful to complete the work he's begun in you. Faith says be it unto me according to your word. I don't see how that can happen. I don't see how it is. I don't see how you can work all things for good that, that are happening right now, but be it unto me according to thy word. I don't see how there's a happy ending here, but be it unto me according to thy word. And you have to look at that in spite of what you see. You know, Abraham, I wanted to look at Romans chapter 4 and verses 17 to 22, but there's too much there. But I just want to point out in in verse uh, 20 and 21, Romans chapter 4, Abraham, it says, did not consider his own body being now considered dead, you know, old age, that he wavered not at the promise of God in unbelief. Abraham did not look at what was seen. And actually, if you wanted to g- study that passage in different translations, some of, the, some of them do say he considered his body. Some say he didn't consider his body. Some say he did consider his body. It's not a problem. Don't worry. How can it be? These, you know, this is what, it's the word of God. How can it be both? The point is, is that whether he considered it or didn't consider it, he didn't put substance to it. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He put substance to the promise. So I don't look at myself. I don't see what the natural is saying. I don't listen to that. That's not my story. My story is, be it unto me according to the word. And so Abraham believed, and it was counted as righteousness. Righteousness. And that's our story when we believe that God has reconciled us. We don't go to a shrine in Orlando for reconciliation. We go to the man, Christ Jesus, who intercedes at the right hand of God, who died for our sins, who paid the price, who bestowed on us all the glories and inheritance of heaven that the Father has has laid up for us, What's, what's greater than the goodness the Lord has laid up for us? When we look at the goodness and the glory we see in the world, we sang saying today the earth is filled with his glory. What it can the glory of God be when we're just in this limited place, this small world? It's a small world. And there's a universe out there full of glory, and there's a, a righteous kingdom coming without sin, without curse, in which we get to inherit and shine with the very life of Jesus, the very glory of Jesus, who is the all-glorious one, who we won't even be thinking of any lesser ones, Mary, saints, or in his presence. It's all going to be him. And he has pulled us into that because we are reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our works, not by our religion, not by our goodness, however good we can attain to. We can't ever attain enough, But God's goodness has been bestowed on us. Well, how can that be? Be it unto me according to thy word. Man, it's a gift. It's the grace of God. And when we say that what that word says is without, it's it's not without power. And it's going to have its effect in your life. If you stand on this word, if you stand on this promise, that word is going to produce fruit. In your life, And the problem we have in the church is we're not believing. We're not saying, be it unto me according to the word. We're saying, oh, I hope the word works. I hope the word is right. I hope I'm on the right track. And meanwhile, i got to deal with real life here. Well, you do have to deal with real life, but you can do it with what the word says about things and having the power of that sword. The Bible shows the word as being a sword, a sword that can cut down mountains, a sword that can cut down the enemy. But if you don't know how to use the sword, you can get hurt. You might hurt yourself. So that's why it's important to know how to use the word. And, and Mary shows us that using the word means saying it applies. I don't know how, but it applies. It also works by love. In John chapter 2, 1 through 5, Mary, do we have this? John chapter 2, 1 through 5. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Isn't that great? He said, basically, don't bother me with this right now. But Mary says, Whatever he says, she you do it. I mean, she, did, she didn't let that stop her faith. She, didn't, she knew she was going to get what she was asking. And sometimes the Lord gives us seeming no's, right? And we saw that with another woman that approached him and he said, well, it's not good for me to give the children's bread to the dogs. And she said, wait a second, you know, but even the dogs get the crumbs. She didn't take that no for an answer. There, was, there are seeming no's in our lives where we're looking to the Lord for things and sometimes it seems like there's a no. And some people will say, well, sometimes God says yes and sometimes God says no and sometimes God says maybe. No, there's, that's not scriptural. That's traditional. The Bible says the promises, of, all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Yes and amen. So we have to be like Mary and say, you know, be it unto me according to your word and also... Galatians 5, 6 says that faith works by love. Here was the love of Mary. She loved her son, Jesus, but she knew that Jesus loved her. So she wouldn't let that seeming no get in the way of what she was asking. And the Lord loves us. And sometimes we give up in prayer, we give up in walking the walk of faith because we don't really believe that the Lord loves us. There's too many seeming no's in our lives. And... It's, that's where the work of faith comes in. That's where we learn from her. Faith works by love, not just me loving him. In fact, I have to believe that he loves me first. We love him because he first loved us. Jesus was walking with the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, and he acted like he was going to go further. And they said, no, 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 come with us. See, You know, we'd say, well, he's going by. They were on the sea during the storm, and it looked like Jesus was going to pass them, but they cried out. There are seeming no's, but you know that the Lord loves you. If he didn't love you, you wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be trying to get your attention right now through the word. He wouldn't have bought you with the precious blood of his son. And that love is something that we can grow in. And the only way to grow is not by being a high priest and being holy and blameless like Zacharias, but being lowly in our own sight and saying, be it unto me according to your word. There was the two in the temple. The Pharisee said, I thank you, Lord. I'm not like this other sinner here. And the sinner was the one that said, Lord, have mercy on me. And he was the one that was justified. It's all a gift. It's all grace. And then when we believe like that, it leads to worship. Look at what Le- uh, Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 45 through 50. Well, Elizabeth said first in 45, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And the same is true to us. The things the Lord has told us, there will be a fulfillment of them if we can be patient, if we can believe. But Mary was called blessed because she believed, just like Abraham was called righteous because he believed. So when you believe, you're not only Blessed, but you're counted as righteous. You're not only righteous, but you're counted as blessed. I don't feel blessed. Well, be it unto me according to the word. The word says that we're blessed. In fact, the word says we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Man, you've got everything. Well, I need it here and now. Well, how do you get it here and now? By faith and patience. It's by faith and patience that we inherit the promises. But we learn in this passage about worship. And Mary said... This is what's known as, I guess, the the Magnificat. This is the theologians call it Mary's Magnificat. It's just, Magnificat is magnificent, I guess. It's just the, the praise of one, the worship that's coming from her. And really, that is our story. Her story is our story. We are also in the lowly position, and God has considered our lowly estate, and He has brought the word to us, and He will fulfill everything. Uh, that he has said. And it's for generation to generation. We are, she's representing us here in worship. And how does she worship? Worship is not just, as we've said, singing at the beginning of a service. I hope we are worshiping when we're singing. But you can sing and it can be absolutely not worship. You're just singing, you're moving to the grooving and you're having a little emotional high here and there. Worship is taught us in this passage My soul does magnify the Lord. And that's why when we sing, we, we have lyrics that we're trying to stir up our soul so that our soul would be focused in magnifying the Lord. But you don't just do that when you're singing. She wasn't singing when she said this. My soul does magnify the Lord considering what he has done for her, what he has said. And a life of worship is a life of your soul magnifying the Lord. Now... I want to get some big theology here, and we'll talk about it more, so don't get uptight if we don't explain everything, but your soul is different from your spirit. So Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit does rejoice. Do you know that when you worship, when you magnify the Lord, it brings about rejoicing in your spirit? Your soul is something that was given to you when you were formed. You're you're a tripartite being, just as God is a trinity being. We are spirit, soul, and body. And it took Mary's body to say, I love the Lord, I believe this, be it unto me. Her soul magnifies, and as a result, her spirit rejoices. Every one of us has a soul. Every one of us has a body. Every one of us has a spirit. When you die, your body is going to enter the dust again. But your soul is going to continue because it's going to go with your spirit either to the Lord in heaven or to another place. And the purpose of our walk with the Lord now is to tend to our souls. Our souls bridge the spirit and the body. And the spirit, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the spirit has been made righteous, the spirit has been made just as Jesus. The whole, you're as holy as you'll ever be in your spirit. But your soul and your body, they don't know that. That's why we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And our soul is the bridge between our spirit and our body. But the soul can be dominated by either one. And most people's souls are dominated by their flesh, their body. The Lord says, let your soul be dominated by your spirit. Feed that. Don't feed that into the soul, not the body. So anyway, I don't want to get off into that, but here's the point. Our soul is who we are, our personality, our mind, our will, our emotions. That's different from our body. The real you is your soul. When you die, your body dies, but your soul continues. Your spirit is what God has given you, the core of your being. You can't taste, touch, feel, or be aware of your spirit, except as your soul Magnifies the Lord, except as your soul believes in the Word, except as your soul decides to obey God, and then your spirit comes out more. And when you die, your soul and your spirit will go to be with Jesus, and your soul will be free from this body hindrance and clunk of dust that we are, clunk of mud that we are. And, and so this is the time right now that we need to be building up Our soul, And I'm spending a little bit more time than I thought because this world just doesn't teach that. This world says, satisfy yourself now. You know, it's all for now, but now is only temporary and it's not going to last. How do you magnify the Lord with your soul? How do you magnify anything? You ever have a magnifying glass? Kids, you ever put it on a leaf in the sunshine? Maybe I shouldn't tell them to do that. (laughs) We used to do that and burn little holes in paper because the magnifying glass would take that light from the sun and just intensify it and change what was under it. And that's what we do to the Lord. We take a magnification in our mind, will, emotions. We say, the Lord is the great one. The Lord is the biggest thing in my life. What you magnify will have an effect on your person. And when you magnify the Lord... It will burn and drain out the self in you and will put more of Him into you, the light of life into you. And you'll find a greater walk with Jesus when you magnify Him. And Mary said, Be it unto me according to thy word. She was magnifying His word above her natural understanding. So in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Knowledge Him in all your ways, and He will direct your paths. That's magnifying the Lord. Saying, I'm not going to magnify my understanding of this. I'm not going to magnify the problem. I'm not going to magnify what everyone else is saying or suggesting or what the circumstance. I'm not magnifying the circumstances. I'm magnifying the word. I'm magnifying the Lord. I'm magnifying his goodness. I'm magnifying his love. It's mine. I love the it's mine business. It's, it's saying amen. Amen is like saying it's mine. Be it unto me according to your word. It's mine. And we don't usually magnify that. We're magnifying the problem. We're magnifying the worries. And what am I going to do next? And I'm not saying you neglect everything. You still have to deal with things. You can't just float away off into heaven. Although that would be great. Uh, But you magnify the Lord. Everything looks daunting. But what you're magnifying will put the other things in in a perspective. And that's what keeps me from falling apart at times. I just know that... This thing looks big, but God is bigger. And that's our hope. And he always comes through. And it causes my spirit to rejoice. Worship is not a somber thing. Oh, and you can go into some churches and think it is. <laughs> and, and you can look at some Christians and their faces are just always... You know, we all, I mean, we all have our moments. But if you're generally somber and down and everything... Start magnifying the Lord more. It will cause your spirit to rejoice. And worship is a rejoicing thing. We can rejoice even in this dark world. And when we're not, that's when we have to say, well, what do I got to do? We, when we, we start to feel sick, we say, well, what do I got to do? What do I got to take? Do I need to see the doctor? If you're not rejoicing in your spirit, more then you're bemoaning and downing and and we all have our moments. But if it's a continual thing, then we need to go to the great physician. We need to go to the Word. We have to say, what do I do to get my, my spirit rejoicing again? And the answer, I guess, again, is that magnifying the Lord. Just as Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. All right, and to wrap this up, to help in faith, and magnifying the Lord. We learn from Mary about treasuring the things of God, pondering the things of God. In Luke 2, verse 17 to 19, after the shepherds uh, came to see the baby, it says, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's the difference right there of victorious faith and worship. A lot of people will come to church, hear a good word, say, oh, yeah, that was great, and they're encouraged, and they go out and it's over. But Mary kept them and pondered them in their heart. And so I can read a passage of Scripture in the morning, and I think, wow, this was great. The Lord really spoke to me this morning. Boom, and I go on my way, and it's, it's done. But if I want it to last, if I want it to stick, if I want to be strengthened, if I want to have more victory than that, i got to ponder it. And meditate on it, and that's something that we're we're pretty much not trained to do so much. Meditating, pondering, and some of the translations said that she treasured them in their heart. What do you do with your treasures? Where do you put them? You put them on display, or you keep them in a very special, protected place, knowing that they're they're okay there. But treasuring is is putting these things that you have been blessed with on display. And how do you do that in your life? By magnifying the Lord, by obeying what he said, by believing, and by letting it affect you, rejoicing in the Spirit. But the point is, is that we have to meditate on the things of God. When you hear the words, Jesus loves you, and it means nothing sometimes. You say, yeah, yeah, I know. But if you really meditate, and sometimes we have to because we hear it so much, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, so. But you still walk around, and it's not good news. What's wrong? Go to the doctor. Get before the Lord. Okay, Lord, Jesus loves me. This I know, but it's not affecting me anymore. I've heard it so much. It's just words now. How do you get it from being a reality in your life? You ponder it. You stay on it for a little bit. I want to go back and rehearse the old notes. I've been reading my old journal lately, being blessed because I forgot so much and we often forget so much. We have to go back and ponder the things God has done, ponder the things that he's done at the cross and ponder the goodness he's laid up for us. And it might take more than five minutes. Well, that didn't work. What's on TV? But it will work if you give it some time. And the more we ponder and meditate, the less time it can take. We, we're just so flabby and not used to using these meditation muscles that we have we we know how to use them on the problems and worries and cares but when it comes to scripture it all becomes a religious thing the high priest takes care that pastor can do that i don't have time for that but if you want god to make a difference in your in your life if you want the testimony of the word producing fruit we have to be like david psalm 19:14 he says let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight o lord my strength and my Redeemer. Does anyone need some strength in this day? Where is it? Where is the strength? It's in the meditation. It's in let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. So can we look at this business where Mary says my soul does magnify the Lord. Real quick and then we'll close close up shop and have lunch with our mothers. But in verse, uh, again, Luke chapter 1, verse 45 to 50, let's just meditate on that. I'll show you what you could... I'm going to meditate on these verses real quick to show you how to do this, but you can spend a lot more time than what we're going to do. It says, okay, in verse 46, it says, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So stop right there. Instead of reading everything, go back to the first verse. And consider, he's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. He's regarded, okay, we saw that. Blessed is she who believed. Where are we here? Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. So you can read that and say, yeah, Mary did good there. But start to ask questions. Ponder it. Does my soul magnify the Lord? And what does that mean? And Lord, can you show me? Turn it into a prayer. You can start to pray through scriptures through your meditation. And then she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. By the way, Mary was not immaculate. She called God her Savior. So there's a a scripture there, going back to that what tradition are we from. But she needed a Savior just like all of us do. But my spirit has rejoiced. You could meditate on that and say, well, am I rejoicing? And if not, well, what what do I need, Lord? Turn it into a prayer. What, what things can I look at to make myself rejoice? And then she goes on, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And you can thank God for, for Mary right there in a meditation, but then you can turn it around and say, Well, I'm also, I was in a low state, and God regarded my low state. And I'm called blessed, actually, because in Christ Jesus we are Blessed. So this is just a, a short, you know, I could spend more time on these scriptures. Some scriptures are easier to produce this kind of thinking and asking questions and trying to milk it or get the juice out of them, but that's the idea. That's, you, what do you do in your quiet time? You open that word and you start to try to juice these scriptures to affect your spirit. You magnify the Lord in your soul and say, how can I use this scripture? What can this do to help me grow in Christ? And then we become the amen. We, we are saying amen to the word and we, we apply it to our lives. Our lives become a living amen. And we go out highly favored of the Lord. You know, the Lord called Mary in Luke 1.28 highly favored. In Ephesians 1.6, Paul said that we are accepted in the beloved. He's using the same Greek words that were used for Mary of highly favored. In the beloved, in Christ, you are accepted. You are not just tolerated, but highly favored. Highly favored. Well, how can that be? Be it unto me according to your word. Let the Lord love you. Receive it. We don't want to receive it because we want to feel like worms and dunces and mistakes and failures. and But I haven't measured up. And that's all high priestly, religious, I got to get it right stuff. How about saying according to the word, this is what the word says, and I am highly favored, I'm accepted in the beloved, not just tolerated, but accepted, not just accepted, but highly favored. That means that God has your picture on his mantle. How can it be? It's not not my fantasy, it's what the word says. Be it unto me according to your word. And then let that word affect your life so that you go and do what God says to do. This is the difference between feel-good preaching. I want to make you feel good. I want to preach encouraging stuff all the time. But the whole purpose is to get you to move and do something for the kingdom, to do something for God's calling in your life. And you're going to do it much more effectively if you think correctly according to what the word says about you. Amen, preacher. Amen. 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 Okay, so the final word here. I already quoted this. In Luke 8.21, Jesus is speaking to a group of people and somebody comes up to him and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are seeking you. And I believe that person was kind of taunting him, trying to say, well, you're just a, who are you? You, you got your mothers and your brothers there. They're calling on you, little boy. That's, that's what I think. You can't read that, but that's just my own speculation. And he just answered back and put them in their place and said, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So nothing, I mean, Mary is to be honored. She is blessed. But you can be just as close to Jesus as she was because you can be his mother, his brothers and sisters. By what? By doing the word of God. Hearing it, believing it, pondering it, turning it into worship and the outflow of obedience, doing it. That's everything we've been talking about today. And you are just as close and in a special position with the Lord as Mary was. But we will esteem her and honor her because she was a special one. She's, and she shows us a great example. We talk about the holy fathers of the faith and we learn from them. We can learn from this woman too. But let it touch our lives and cause us to be living, believing, be living. Be the amen and follow in that example. Amen. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for every example you've given us in Scripture, in our lives, people we know and love who have encouraged us, spurred us on. But I just pray, Lord, for everyone in here that you just continue to reveal the treasures and the things that are worth pondering in their lives and to build them up, that their spirit would rejoice and that they would be inclined to magnify you and to, and to bring it out in works th- for the kingdom, not because we're earning things, but because you've blessed us with everything already. We thank you for that. We thank you. We exalt you. We lift up the name of Jesus today and thank you that you've come and that you're coming again. And I pray blessings on everyone as we move out this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.